0: And welcome back to Argo Trading Concepts by Quantensity. I'm your host, Garima Tandon. And today as guest, I have Mr. Vivek Krishnamurti, who is head of content and research for the EPAD program. Thank you for doing this, Vivek, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Garima. Thank you so much for that introduction. I'm uh, very happy to be here. So let's begin.
0: Now. Before uh, we start, I'll quickly give my listeners an overview of today's podcast. So in this episode, we will discuss and talk about using time series analysis in the financial markets. So now, Vivek, if you can quickly give your introduction, then we can, you know, begin with the podcast.
1: So I'm going to try and walk you guys through my uh, professional background. So, you know, I did my bachelor's in engineering from Veset in Mumbai University. And I have done an MBA in finance from uh, NTU in Singapore. I have worked, learned and taught finance now for about 12 years. This has been across uh, India, Singapore and Canada. So, you know, in my working stint, I was associated with a large private bank where, uh, you know, I used to work as a credit analyst on uh, uh, you know loan proposals for corporate uh, entities uh, my teaching experience has been at uh, you know at uh, multiple schools so business schools as well as universities where I've taught different uh, courses is in finance uh, and economics I've also spent uh, some time in academic financial financial research uh, in Canada uh, Aside from this I've also, been associated with the Institute of Actuaries of India. I've cleared a bunch of their papers, and uh, uh, I, and I'm the you know the country topper for uh, one of the papers called Probability and Mathematical Statistics. Uh, as you would or perhaps you might not imagine, uh, you know, over the years I've acquired a lot of interest and love for uh, statistics, math, economics, and finance. Um, and to add to that because i also enjoy teaching so much uh you know my current job at quantinsti really brings all of these together in a in a in a pretty magical way and uh, that's what i currently do for a living
0: thank you so much vivek for that introduction and uh, so now before uh, you know without further ado let's just start into the podcast and as i can understand the topic for today is using time series analysis but Before we get into that, what is time series analysis, if you could just elaborate that for our listeners?
1: Okay, so uh, we're going to now try and understand, uh, you know, a fairly involved topic in the, you know, area of financial markets. So, you know, before we even try and understand what uh, time series analysis is, let me just take a step back and talk about, uh, you know, uh, some of the broad methods that are used to analyze market data and when i say markets i'm really referring to financial markets so uh, you know one so first let me just lay out those three methods so broadly speaking there are three ways we analyze the data so one is called technical analysis the other is called fundamental analysis and the third is called quantitative analysis now technical analysis as you know some of our listeners may know is uh, where we are essentially looking at uh, historical data of uh, various uh, you know asset prices and we are trying to see trying to spot certain patterns in the data. So, um, you know, a typical technical analyst would be looking at the charts. They would have these various lines. For instance, they have these head and shoulder patterns that they use. You have, uh, you know, uh, things like Bollinger Bands. You have what are called RSI. You have these various indicators. So it's essentially a method where you have charts and you're looking at these charts and you're looking at these new lines that you add on to them based on the ones you want to use. And you look for, certain patterns that you that you expect to see which give you the signals to buy or sell right okay. so that's one category where everything depends on the historical prices so in other words what we are doing is uh, we are looking at the historical prices and trying to figure out whether we can get certain cues on when to buy and when to sell okay all right so that's Technical analysis. Now let's go to fundamental analysis. Fundamental analysis is concerned with what the company is up to. So you are concerned with uh, what the quality of management is, uh, what are the kind of products the company is coming out with. So, you know, let's say you have a a company like a Microsoft, and they, they, they bought GitHub or uh, they go on to, you know, acquire certain companies, and they make certain announcements as to what their future business interests are going to be, you are going to be closely monitoring those things and trying to put a uh, you know, trying to figure out um, in the long run, if this is going to be profitable or not so much. And you value the company today based on the prospects of the company. So the prospects really come from quality of management, the kind of business plans they have, you look at the revenue projections that the management often announces, you look at their, you know, quarter over quarter earnings, growth in profits, growth in revenues. So you look at each company trying to understand the business and stuff. Now, let me now contrast that with technical analysis to a technical analyst, she does not care about the name of the company, all she's going to be looking at are charts. So uh, the charts she looks at could be Apple, it could be Microsoft, it could be Infosys, it could be, uh, you know, what have you, but uh, she's least concerned with the fundamental business uh, that this company is up to. So now, uh, let me come to the third category, which is you know, become very popular these days, it's called quantitative analysis. So here, what you're trying to do is you want to use this entire arsenal of statistical theory. So um, in the entire field of, uh, you know, research and uh, uh, science, you use hypothesis testing and statistical theory and p-values, and you might have heard these terms, you use all of that to quantify whatever it is that you want to prove or disprove. So you want to use that entire arsenal on market data, which means it is uh, almost a more rigorous way to analyze the data. So fundamental analysis is uh, looking at, you know, both qualitative and quantitative aspects of firms, but which is very, very specific to firms, whereas technical analysis, uh, you know, is often quite subjective. By its very nature, because you're looking at charts and two people looking at the same chart might have slightly different views on it, whereas the quantitative aspect you're trying to, like I mentioned, be a little more rigorous when it comes to what is it that you are testing and uh, time series analysis happens to fall in the third category. All right, so that's where time series analysis fits in the larger scheme of things. Uh, so I guess that's a long winded way of answering your question on what time series analysis is. Uh, Now the question is, why are we even using it? Right? So now that we've contextualized where it lies, let me talk about why it's got this special name. So you know, as the name suggests, any kind of data, which uh, is ordered in time can be called a time series. So for instance, if you're tracking your own weight, over the years right right from the from the time you were zero years old until whatever your age is today that's a time series of your weight similarly the time series of your height so essentially what that does is it's uh, ordering or indexing your data uh, according to time which means uh, the order is very important you cannot change the order because there is a meaning and a structure to the order okay. so uh, you know for example You know, in a in a medical setting, if you are tracking, uh, you know, the sugar levels of a patient of of an individual over the years from the time let's say the individual is 30 to the time this individual is say 60 it's very important for you to track it. uh, You know, in the order in which the person ages so uh, for it to have some sense of meaning, so that you know those patterns kind of make sense. So I guess so. So essentially, that's what time series analysis is. Now, why is it important in the financial markets context? Because most of the kind of uh, data that we are interested in have a very interesting time component attached to it. So when we look at stock prices, we are looking at stock prices over the years or over us. over a certain time scale, depending on the frequency of data that we're looking at. Similarly, even if you move slightly away from finance to macroeconomics, if you were to look at GDP numbers, if you were to look at inflation numbers, you are often tracking these numbers over time. Occasionally, you might be interested in, let's say, GDP at a a given point in time across countries. But uh, more often than not, what happens is we are looking at, let's say, the GDP of the country we live in over the years. And it has got a uh, you know, it has got uh, time as one of the scales uh, along which you're tracking those specific numbers. And that's that's what is basically a time series. And any kind of analysis methods that we use there is really speaking time series analysis.
0: So that was quite interesting. And from what I understand, uh, Vivek, uh, these techniques can also be used in the fields other than financial markets. Just correct me if I'm wrong over there.
1: Yes, Garima. In fact, you're absolutely right. Uh, these techniques travel far beyond, uh, you know, our world of financial markets, for example, climate science, where, you know, things like temperature, rainfall, uh, you know, sea levels, uh, these are, you know, the kind of numbers that I get that have been tracked for, uh, I guess, uh, se- definitely several decades, perhaps more than that. You have, uh, fields like, uh, you know, even astronomy where a lot of, uh, data is tracked literally has been tracked over time so so for, you know for instance uh, you know the kind of uh, chemical reactions that let's say happen on the surface of planets another field where you know uh, this is a very useful technique is you know when we are studying uh, different species in uh, you know in biology or in, for that matter even in, in in you know zoology or botany when you're tracking the growth of say plants or tracking the growth of population of say animals uh, different species, you know, you want to check whether a species is endangered or not. Uh, you have time series data on uh, the number of, you know, animals that have existed over the years in a in a certain geographic area or in a certain country or some such. So, you know, we keep reading about uh, certain species going extinct or nearly going extinct, but coming back, right? So yeah. all of that comes from time series data, again. Okay. So this, you know, that, that just goes on to elaborate the fact that, uh, you know, this, these these techniques are used far beyond uh, financial markets.
0: So, uh, while we are on the subject of financial markets, is there something special about the data that we get from uh, you know the financial markets, or h- how does it go?
1: Garma, I think you will be a really good student if you haven't been already, because uh, you seem to ask uh, just the right kind of questions. So, yes, to answer to to give you a short answer to your question, there is something special or something unique about uh, you know, financial markets are in fact, uh, macroeconomics in general, uh, which is that uh, the data that we have in both macroeconomics and finance is, you know, what we call non-stationary in nature. Uh, Maybe I'll talk a little bit about, you know, what is stationary and what is non-stationary sometime down the line. Uh, But let me first come back to specifically financial markets. So, uh, you know, if, if we just do a cursory examination of markets what you will often see is that you know the when when times are volatile they they tend to stay volatile for a while and when times are kind of benign they tend to stay benign for a while in other words uh, you know people who trade will often tell you that you know these days the markets are just too volatile um, similarly as i mentioned there will be times when people say that you know there's not too much action happening in the market what that really so, you know, the technical term that we use in finance for that is we call that volatility clustering, which means high volatile times are followed or are bunched together with more with volatile times as well as uh, low volatile times are bunched together with, lo- you know, just low volatile time. So, uh, so there is this, uh, you know, peculiarity that we observe in markets. Okay. Now, the other, you know, thing that we often see is, uh, what we call the leverage effect so again if i were to break that down in english what that really means is that when so volatility increases when markets are not doing well in other words there's a negative correlation between uh the kind of volatility you have and the levels of markets so if volatility is high markets are not doing well if volatility is low markets tend to be doing uh well, I mean, they, they seem to be giving you good returns. So, you know, these are some of the many, you know, strange phenomena that we see. Maybe one more that I might wanna add, uh, while we, you know, uh, which which comes to mind is that uh, one of the ways we often think of market returns is that returns are normally distributed. So, you know, uh, most of us would have seen this normal curve, you know, in a, in a, in a basic stats class, uh, in school or uh, you know in college which where you know you have this bell shaped curve and you expect that uh, the action at the tails happens very rarely so you know to just jog your uh, statistical memory anything beyond a plus or minus 2 standard deviations happens like uh, less than uh, just about 5% of the times but uh, what we actually see in the markets is that these events where returns are more than 2 standard deviations on either side they happen a lot more frequently than 5% of the time so mark you, you know um, our uh, statistical theory would basically tell us that these kind of events should happen very rarely but it happens at a higher frequency than we expect so uh, what we say is that we have fat tails so returns often have fat tails and that is again one of the empirical realities of financial markets
0: so okay i think i have got the hang of this so far uh but let's just delve in a little deeper not too deep but uh, you know so just i'm not that familiar with financial models but if you could just elaborate on the models that are used here and like let's just finally talk about how to use time series analysis in financial markets.
1: So now we are going to get to some of the, you know, the slightly more arcane aspects of this topic. So far, you know, it's been nice to listen to all of this stuff. All right. So, you know, uh, broadly speaking, you know, we have a, a a category of models that we call the ARIMA models. Uh, A-R-I-M-A models. So that's an acronym for autoregressive Integrated moving average. Now that's a mouthful. All right. So let's now try and break that down into smaller little chunks to okay. help us understand what it is. Okay. So ARIMA itself consists of basically three parts. And I'm going to talk a little bit about these three constituent parts, okay. uh, which will help us, you know, get a grip on what's going on. Okay. So let's first talk about the AR part, which is uh, what are called auto regressive processes. Now, the whole idea of an auto regressive process is that um, today's price or today's value is a linear combination of past values. Okay, so, you know, we, we, we often f- find that uh, some of the best predictors of tomorrow's stock price is really today's stock price, or uh, maybe today's and yesterday's stock price, or today's yesterday's and the day before that, right. So, in other words, if if, if prices are moving in a certain direction, we can make a pretty educated guess on what's going to happen tomorrow all right so that's the the uh, underlying principle and uh, of anything which is autoregressive in nature in other words what it says is that uh, let me try and derive today's price as as i as i mentioned a linear combination of past prices so autoregressive or ar processes are an entire family which means it could rely on just yesterday's price or it could rely on yesterday's and the day before or the previous three days or you know to uh, make it more general it could rely on the previous p days so uh, you know we, we essentially kind of uh, write out this equation as something like you know an xt if if the price on if you're trying to predict the price on day t xt is basically equal to let's say uh you know beta zero plus beta one xt minus one plus beta two xt minus two uh, all the way to beta P X T minus P plus a little bit of noise, which we, you know, often model as the small letter E or Epsilon. So we, we use Epsilon t for example, to, to write it. So, uh, rather than getting lost in the equations, the, the underlying principle is just this, that today's price is a function of past occurrences of prices. So that takes care of, you know, the AR kind of processes. Then let's come to a moving average process. So now what the moving average process hypothesizes is that today's price or today's value is a function of today's and past noises. Meaning it has nothing to do with yesterday's price. It has to do with the unpredictability of what happened yesterday, the unpredictability of what happened the day prior to that and so on. So an MA process models today's value as of, a linear combination of today's and past occurrences of noise right so now when i say noise what i mean is these are things which are unpredictable so so for example there's this piece of news that uh, you know financial markets are hit by which was completely unexpected so something like a demonetization that happened in 2016 right on the mo- uh, uh, you know morning on which the markets opened and demonetization and occurred, that would be the example of an unpredictable noise. Or, you know, if there is a terrorist attack that happens in some financial center of the world, right? The market reaction to that is that it was a wholly unpredictable uh, event that occurred. And how do you model for the fact that such events occur? And that's what a moving average process is trying to capture. So it assumes that the price on any given day is really a combination of all of the unpredictability that occurred. It's uh, not just today, but even in the past. Now, the weights that you assign to them depends on the testing that you do with your data. So it one would expect to see that the weights that you assign to distant events would be very low and to the near nearer term events would be much higher. So that's what a moving average process is. And uh, the third kind of derived process from both of these, is what we call an ARMA process, an ARMA process, which combines both these features. So what it says is that today's price is a function of not just past occurrences of prices, but also past occurrences of the noise that has entered the system. So so now the question is, why, why do we care to model it in this manner? Well, it just so turns out that most data that follows these kind of time trends, uh, fits very well with these processes, so we have observed this empirically across various, uh, you know, series such as, uh, you know, inflation numbers or, uh, you know, stock prices and stuff, and that's how we have arrived at these, you know, models which we often use and try and see if they fit into our specific data set. So this is basically, uh, you know, these. Uh, you know, AR, MA, and ARMA that I just spoke about. And uh, maybe uh, I'll talk about Ariba when I get on to talking about stationarity, which, you know, uh, just a little while back, I just put a pin on that and I never really spoke about it. Maybe now is a good time for me to talk about it.
0: I completely uh, forgot about that. You had mentioned it earlier. So just go on and explain that what it is for our listeners.
1: Okay. So um, let's take a step back again. So any kind of statistical forecasting that you want to do, or any kind of analysis that you want to do, right? Uh, For it to make any sense, there has to be uh, a semblance of predictability to the data that you're looking at. What I mean by that is, uh, if I want to compute the mean of a group of uh, items that I have, right? Uh, Calculating the mean makes sense if the mean is going to give me a, you know, a pretty good idea of what's going on in that group. But if that group itself keeps shifting all the time, then computing the mean at any point in time is always going to give me a delayed uh, response or uh, worse still, a useless number to go with, right? So uh, so, so this is something to keep in mind. Now, when we talk about, uh, fi- you know, finance data, right, if you look at, let's say, the 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 price that you see on you know a bloomberg or a cnbc if you were to just you know flip through channels and look at some index like the snp index or the nifty you'll often find that it it you know keeps going up and down <clears throat> most likely if you if you were to look at the uh, the index of you know the SP 500 let's say for the last 50 years you'll see that it has by and large gone up it's got these blips of course where it keeps going up and down but there's a clear trend that it's moving upwards So if I were to compute the uh, mean of the S&P 500 index in, let's say, the year 1985 and compare it to the year 1990 and compare it to the year 1995 and 2000 and so on, you will find that the means are vastly different. In other words, computing the mean at any point in time gives me no idea of what the mean would be in the subsequent year or the year after or the year after. So this is a typical example of non-stationary data, which means the data is constantly changing, right? Uh, And any analysis done on data that changes like this does not make sense. So then the the question is, what do we do then? Well, the good news is that although prices are almost never stationary, returns in fact are often stationary. Meaning if I were to compute the daily returns of the S&P 500, so it might be a fractional number, like, I don't know, maybe a 0.3%, 0.2%, maybe minus 0.2%, minus 0.5% and so on. What you'll find is that the, the returns are more or less stationary, all right? Compared to the prices themselves. So what we do in finances, we often stationarize the data. And what I mean by stationarize is we, we transform it to make it stationary. The reason for that being that any subsequent analysis makes sense only if we have something stationary. Once we do the analysis, we, we, we get a sense of what's been going on. We use that to make certain forecasts, and then we we reverse transform and come back to getting a price. So this is really speaking the process that we follow. And uh, you know all of these methods that I spoke about, the AR, the MA, the ARMA, all of these methods are essentially done on stationary data, right? Uh, so now let me talk about arima which is the other model that i spoke about which is a uh, which has the letter i in the middle of the uh, you know ar and ma parts <clears throat> and arima essentially is referring to non stationary data so any kind of data set that i have which is non stationary in nature i need to convert it to becoming stationary so what we do is we often do that by taking you know say log price differences so, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm again going to go on a bit of a, I'm going to f- follow up through on a bit of a rabbit hole here and talk about log price differences. So in in finance, you might have heard of two types of returns that are computed. One is what we call uh, simple returns, which is today's price minus yesterday's price divided by yesterday's price. The other option is com- computing the continuously compounded returns where what you do is you, you basically just subtract today's log price by yesterday's log price. So you just do log of PT minus of... Log of P T minus one, P uh, T minus one, sorry, which kind of gives you returns. So, so yeah, so like I was saying, when you when you deal with the differences of log prices, it gives you <clears throat> uh, continuously compounded returns that we often work with in finance. Uh, the benefit of that is we are essentially converting our uh, non-stationary series to a stationary series. So, uh, one simple way of converting a non-stationary series to a stationary series is by differencing. And what ARIMA essentially tells you is that the letter I that you see at the middle tells you the number of times you need to do these differences. Now, uh, more often than not, we need to do this difference just once. But there can be slightly more uh, ill behaved uh, series that we have where we have to not just difference them. We need to difference the differences and sometimes even difference the difference of the differences. All right so that that kind of you know we kind of keep account of that uh, you know where, where, where we say that the series is integrated of order t and that d can be sometimes one sometimes two sometimes three but like i mentioned the good news is that they are mostly one and the even better news is that we rarely do any of these things ourselves the reality is that in today's day and age uh, most of the work that we do is done using, uh, you know, statistical packages or programming languages. So, for example, Python. Uh, you know, we use this uh, commonly used package called StatsModels, and what and we have a host of other packages. I don't want to get into that for now, but uh, essentially that helps us identify the uh, the the order of any kind of price series we throw at it. So. <clears throat> The, you know, the beauty of living in this day and age is you have so many such resources today that, uh, you know, literally at the tips of our fingers, that all you need is, once you have the broad overview of the technique, you just need to pick up the tool and take your price series and throw it at it. And you'll, you know, and voila, out is going to come the, you know, the, uh, w- what model best fits uh, the data that you have. Okay. All right. So, To recap, the ARIMA that I spoke about has three aspects, the AR, the I, and the MA. Uh, We typically would call it ARIMA PDQ, uh, with the PDQ in parentheses, where the P talks about the order of the autoregressive part, the D talks about the order of the integration part, and the Q talks about the order of the MA part. So uh, what I usually do is I, I would essentially take a particular price series from the wild, from the financial wild, and I'm going to throw it at my ARIMA model, and I'm going to ask my model that, hey, try and fit in the best uh, model that you can. So, you're looking for the right values of p, d, and q, which best fits your data. Right. So this is one part of this entire story. All right. Now there is uh, another interesting aspect to financial data, right, which is the volatility that I spoke of. Now, volatility, in other words, is really the standard deviation. So Volatility is often measured with variance or standard deviation. So there is some information that can be mined from there too. Right? So what we typically do is, we take the return series, and we try and model it using uh, ARMA or ARIMA. In fact, ARMA, if you take a price series, we try to model it using ARIMA. We then look at the residuals or the noise that's left, and we try and see if uh, you know if we can further mine for something. What we more often than not find is that uh, the the noise that we find has still got something going on there, and that and that something going on there is the volatility clustering that I spoke about. Now you know some of the things that I'm really talking about are things I literally teach over you know six hours of lectures in the EPAT curriculum right i'm I'm really trying to encapsulate in like 20-25 minutes what we cover over really long so some of this is gonna seem a little esoteric uh but uh, pardon my french because we are trying to you know cover quite a few things in this short span of time so uh Garma, you just try and run with me here let me just talk about the second thing that we are trying to do so the second thing that we are trying to do is given that there is some action or something interesting going on with the volatility, we want to try and see if we can model for that too. And there is another series of models which are popularly called, uh, you know, like I already gave you a mouthful with ARIMA. Now I'm going to give you an even uh, bigger or, you know, worse mouthful, which is called GARCH, Mm G-A-R-C-H. So this is basically, uh, you know, general autoregressive conditional heteroscedasticity. Okay, I think I got that right. Uh, without, without you know, yeah. lisping. Anyways, so that, uh, so don't let the name intimidate you. It sounds, it sounds uh, you know, crazy, but it, it it's not that bad. So what you try and do is you try to also model for volatility. So essentially you have two models working in conjunction with each other. You have one which is trying to predict returns and the other which is trying to get you, give you a handle on the volatility that's coming up with you. So now we have, you know, this joint estimation of both the mean returns as well as the volatility. Now, the question is, why on earth are we doing all of this? The answer to that is we are trying to get a handle on prediction of prices tomorrow, right? So the the whole purpose of this entire exercise is trying to find that elusive alpha that we look for in markets, right? We are all trying to find that little edge where we can try and profit from, you know, our investments and stuff. And the good news is that the ARIMA GARCH technique is a pretty good one. Uh, what we've seen, and there are several studies that that show us this, is that ARIMA GARCH, when used together, are uh, a jolly good way to get good returns, to get uh, above average returns. Now, let me just add a caveat here. Now, The stuff that we are dealing with is pretty sophisticated right uh, and even when i take lectures on this topic I, I i often tell my students that you know this is a topic where you should be spending sufficient time before you start venturing out trying this out by yourselves uh, you know uh, without any adults in the room really right <laughs> uh, so the, the, because because like i said there are um, many aspects to it uh, which you know bear some amount of deliberation on your side there are you know a ton of books out there uh, which one can refer to, to 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 get comfortable with the topic and then we start taking these baby steps in order to start using them in the markets oh by the way garma i just realized uh, i made a slight error a little while back so the the full form of garch is generalized uh, autoregressive conditional heteroskedasticity oh my god i said it again <laughs> without uh, you know, fumbling. <clears throat> Anyways. Uh, so, you know, to to sum it all up, uh, you know, what we've tried to discuss in the last half an hour or so, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, these are pretty brutal topics uh, in the field of financial econometrics. Uh, so again, let me just demystify what I meant by that. It's the statistical study of financial markets. And time series analysis sits squarely in the middle of all that. Right. Now, I have been you know a student of uh, the markets especially using time series analysis for um, close to 6 years now and i am far from tired of it i have known of people who have spent their entire careers just doing this kind of analysis because there's so much to be done and there's so much that it tells you uh, that uh, it, it's a it's a fascinating field and you know i would encourage listeners to really try and dive in to try and know learn more about it and uh, you will find that it's 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 very profitable both you know intellectually as well as you know from a financial standpoint when where, where you can you can use these techniques in order to improve your own styles of trading uh, but as i mentioned before make sure that you spend sufficient time uh, getting to grips with the the fundamentals because it involves uh, you know a fair amount of uh, you know in in-depth study before you start trying things out Uh, and uh, if you put in the time and the effort I I think uh, there's there's a there's a lot to be gained and uh, hopefully this has been useful to you guys and uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed having this chat uh, with Garima here and I hope to speak to you guys again soon thank you so much Garima
0: that was apparently very well explained uh, Vivek I being from a non-financial background i completely like i won't lie not but uh i just actually got the hang of it and thank you so much for taking out time to do this it was a pleasure talking with you and listeners this marks the end of this episode of algo trading concepts and to know more about algo trading log into quantity.com You can also follow us on Twitter and FB where we post a lot of exciting reads and information about the domain. And thank you everyone for listening in and stay tuned because more and more exciting episodes are coming in. This is your host, Gaurima Tandon, signing off for now. I'll see you in the next episode.